Real quick before we jump into the episode, I have a quick disclaimer. The audio is a bit rough. It was our first time using the recording platform and there were issues I did not foresee. Also, from time to time, you can hear my dog walking through the room. Like everyone else, we're doing things from home. Regardless, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I had a lot of fun discussing this topic. Hi, I am Jenny. I uh, am so excited to start this podcast up again. The world has changed so much since the last time we recorded one of these. Um, And we're coming to you with a new topic from our most recent Bottleworks uh, conversation. Um, Before we get to that, though, I want to just say how much I, how grateful I am for technology. We've been doing Theology of the Bottleworks via Zoom for a couple months now, and we're recording this podcast right now with a very Zoom-like technology, and uh, I'm just very grateful for that. Our uh, topic was cancel culture. And it was moderated for the first time ever by Christian. You want to introduce yourself? Hello, everybody. My name is Christian Baker, and I have been with the Theology of the Followers team uh, over the past four years while I was attending Washington University undergrad. And yeah, this was my first time moderating ever, and it was quite the experience. I'm guessing it went exactly how you expected. Oh, exactly. I had the outline, we had every single question, every quote. It was perfect. People said exactly what you expected them to. And they landed right where I wanted them to add. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It, it went totally planned. Uh, but not really. No, not at all. Yeah, um, which is very, very normal. Uh, but I'm sure it can kind of throw you off if you're not accustomed to it. <laughs> true if i had somebody or so many times where people would have a comment and i'd say that's great but that's i want you to say that later <laughs> uh, <laughs> a lot of people had a lot of thoughts about cancel culture and i appreciated their input i guess part of me wished it, it, their thoughts would come at what i thought was the right time but ultimately uh so much was added to the conversation by their thoughts and opinions and perspectives it was a great conversation yeah and that ultimately is the point of theology of the body works, just to get people talking about a topic and coming out with their like, well, grappling grappling with their feelings about an issue and maybe maybe changing them, maybe figuring out that maybe they're justified all along, <laughs> which is always a great feeling. Sure. Um, but yeah, so cancel culture. You had a great quote. Um, from the Childish Gambino, because of the internet, mistakes are forever. Uh, And that's from a song that I don't know, but I think I would love it. Uh, So let's start off by defining cancel culture. How did you define cancel culture? Yeah, I think this is the hardest part of trying to plan for the conversation, planning and defining what cancel culture is. I think... Here's where I arrived at. Cancel culture is the act of uh, punishing a person or organization for speech or actions perceived to be harmful. And it typically 
means drawing attention to the harmful action and then asking or manifesting the punishment to occur. Um, it's hard trying to differentiate between cancel culture and previous forms of censorship or punishment um, because this isn't anything new. Like this, like, cancel, like the idea of someone has something that we disagree with or something that they've done something that's harmful. So therefore, we will take matters into our own hands. We being whoever. Um, that's not new. Um, and that just goes back centuries and centuries and centuries. So it was about how to make this instance different than the other ones. Um, and ultimately, it comes from the quote. It's the internet. It's the access mm -hmm. to... Uh, it's the access to what everyone has said and done that they've either intentionally put on the internet or unintentionally put on the internet. Is the fact that everyone has that same level of privilege to go into the backlogs of Twitter accounts and various images or yearbook photos that have been scanned into a library to find instances that are incriminating. And that ultimately is what makes cancel culture, in my opinion, a different kind of uh, movement or action than its past iteration. Yeah, there have been a lot of people in the last few years that have been quote-unquote canceled. Um, can you list uh, just a couple maybe that everyone's probably heard of? Well, I, uh, uh, there's a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think um, there was, in 2018, there was Kevin Hart who was tasked with uh, hosting the upcoming Oscars. But then it was brought to light that uh, he had old homophobic tweets um, and a standard routine from 10 years ago or, 10, or a few years beforehand that was offensive or deemed offensive uh, relating to the LGBTQ community. And so based on the backlash that he received from that, he ultimately stepped down from that uh, offer to host the Oscars. Um, another instance would be... Um, geez, there's so many. Uh, Kevin Spacey and his actions with inappropriate conduct with teens and young men led to him being taken out of Netflix's House of Cards, which was a very popular show. I've never seen it, but I've, I've heard it's a very popular show, very good. But he was taken out of the show, and then there's a movie that he was cast in called All the Money in the World, and he had a very prominent role, but. And because what, in light of what he did, they actually hired another actor, I think it was Christopher Plummer, I think, and they literally like, inserted him into the many scenes that Kevin Spacey was in and even invited, had the act, lead actors and actresses come back to um, redo some of the performances to make it work. There's a lot of work done to erase Kevin Spacey from this movie. That's impressive. I you said that, and I was just like, how much time and money someone was really dedicated to, like you said, erasing him from being in this movie at all. Yeah, yeah, it's shocking, and I love movies, so thinking about the amount of money it takes to hire actors and the crew and the whatever digital equipment is needed and makeup and everything was probably a lot of money, but it was all in the name of. Kevin Spacey did this bad thing and we cannot allow ourselves to be associated with him 
And so we need to get him out and replace him so we can still have this project that existed without him in the first place, I guess. Yeah. It seems that cancel culture is filling kind of a void in our justice system where a lot of the actions that they're coming out against are not 100% illegal or maybe they are, but they've fallen through the cracks of the legal system. Uh, so that so the masses are rising up and saying we don't condone this and we don't think that these people should just walk free. We're going to um, level the kind of justice we can, which is to shame you on the internet or pressure companies like like uh, filmmakers to erase you. Um, and that's very yeah. interesting to me that it's not. It's no longer a legal issue. It's what the mass morality is. I mean, I guess I appreciate you're you're coming from the same way as I am in a way. Like when I think of cancel culture, I do think of it through that lens of justice. And I think of it as however imperfect the method is, the impetus behind it is people vying and just longing for justice, whether it's celebrities who have somehow skirted it through the, the criminal justice system unscathed or actions that are harmful and there's no legal recourse necessarily for that because it's not against the law or there's not a law for it yet forever. Um, but that wasn't always, a lot of people took it. Even during our conversation at the Audrey Bottle Works, people came at it in, with a different lens instead of looking at it in terms of justice. They looked at it in terms of power, in terms of who gets to control the directions that the mass culture moves. And you said it's like whatever the mass morality is of the day, in this power lens, cancer culture is certain people trying to control the mass morality by uh, stamping out certain ideas they deem are not worth it and uplifting their own. So there's different interpretations of cancel culture and whether it's even like motivations are good or, or selfish. Yeah, certainly. That's, that's the other side of this is if someone is canceled, is there any room for redemption, for repentance for that person anymore? Like what do they have to do to like climb their way out of the hole they've been th- thrown into? True. Um, yeah. And it, it doesn't it doesn't seem largely that cancel culture, as it's happened thus far, is terribly concerned with that question. Um, whether it's concerned with justice or it's concerned with power, whatever that, it, there's still at the end of the day, there's someone who has been quote unquote canceled, and but they're still a person, um, and so it comes down to what do we believe the value of that person is or what the end goal of things are. If the end goal is a culture that is more accepting and understanding of one another, then there should be room in the process for that person to be educated about their mistakes, to learn from their mistakes and decide to go a different way, to try to mend the harms that have been done, repair the relationships, and then act in a way that is better, for lack of a better word, but if if the goal is just power and control, then perhaps there isn't necessarily a need for 
people to exist who have caused damage. Perhaps the best way to the best way to get control if that's if that's the goal would be to just get rid of the people that stand in the way. Which is a very like pessimistic, ruthless kind of look at cancel culture. Um, but I feel like as Christians, like there has there has to be room for forgiveness. That mm-hmm. that idea that you know because we have been forgiven, so we too must forgive. That story that Jesus tells Peter, where Peter says, "How many times did I forgive someone? Like seven times." And Jesus says, "A lot more than that. Like a, a lot more times than just that many times." Yeah, for sure. And I like I was just thinking about one of the other. Uh, it was a company, I think. The Goya Foods, canned foods, mm-hmm. they were canceled by for essentially, a po- like having a different political stance than whatever the the mass morality was of the day for supporting for for supporting Trump, correct? I believe so. I believe it was that. Um, I, I think it was during a event where. Donald, where President Gary Foods was at the White House, he praised Donald Trump's work. I think he, I, I'm not gonna, I shouldn't speculate. So I think he just praised Donald Trump and his work, and people felt that was wrong, and they there was like a hashtag boycott Goya. I think that was a thing for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the backlash to that hashtag boycott was that that's only a, a loud minority that doesn't represent the majority. So there's even like. A push and pull between is this the mass morality or is it just the minority morality that's just louder that is trying to unfairly control more than it's proportionally supposed to right and well i mean and that that did work for a amount of time when i was researching the topic a while ago the only thing i could find when i like searched the hashtag on uh on instagram was was stuff about Goya foods and I was like I don't even know what happened like mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't even see like is this news I don't know uh but yeah it was overwhelmingly loud for a period of time yeah it seems like a lot of these instances of canceling not all of them but some of them it's this thing where it's loud for a moment and then it just kind of dissipates and that's that um another example of if someone being canceled in a more brief way was uh, Scarlett Johansson, who was acting in a movie that was like an anime adaptation called Ghost in the Shell. And people pushed back and said it was whitewashing. It was giving this white American actor a role that's originally like a Japanese anime movie. Um, she received backlash for it, but the movie was still made. Um, it made some money. And Scarlett Johansson is still acting today. I mean, there hasn't been she hasn't been erased from the public sphere. Um, perhaps she may or may not take roles like that again, knowing that that backlash could happen again. But it just kind of came, it stayed, it brought relevant conversations about race and representation in media. But regarding Scarlett Johansson's actions, it just kind of faded similar to the Goya Foods, where it happened, and now there are other bigger things or other focuses in the culture today. So that boycott has kind of fallen away from mass attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this kind of gets to uh, one of the questions I believe you asked was, what are the end goals of canceling people uh, for the public and private actions? Like, yeah, like, What's, what's the point? What are we hoping to achieve? True. And I think it's interesting the different 
I, I'm not sure. If, I don't remember if we ever fully answered the question, as with most questions in theology of the Bible works. Um, but I think it was interesting looking at the various groups that have engaged in cancel culture. There's not just one group, and then seeing what their ends are, and that, in a way, helps parse together an answer. Where, um, in the case of in the media and movies and trying to push backlash at Scarlett Johansson, the goal in that cancel culture case was to bring more representation in the film. And so there is so in the, it's not really a win in trying to just punish only Scarlett Johansson. The point of that was to bring awareness to the issue at large and seek more representation. And whether or not this is cause and effect, there has been recent more recent attention to more movies that don't center white American or white actors in general. The movies like Parasite won the Best Picture uh, Oscar, and movies like The Farewell, which got a lot of attention. Um, so that's just one example. I, it's hard to figure out like what the ends are because the means are the same in a lot of ways. It's, it's, a lot of times, it's a very um, intense moment of hyper attention to everything this person or organization has done to kind of back up the claim that what they're doing is bad or that this person is bad based on everything that we found about them. Um, yeah, that kind of leads me to the next point with the, the phrase hyper attention to, <laughs> to people's actions leads me to the next point of like does cancel culture demand the perfection of people and like to tack onto that like how do how do we keep ourselves safe from being canceled i don't know i i feel like for the second question i is there a way to be safe from being canceled i feel like that is to be perfect in a way like we no one no one is ever really perfect enough to avoid critique by others, and nor, I mean, can we all adequately follow the mass trends of cultural thoughts and then accepting and whatnot? Uh, and that just comes down to human beings. I believe that, I mean, we're human beings, we're fallible, we're broken, we have things that are good about us and things that are, that need to work. Um, and throughout the process of growing and living and learning, we make mistakes or we hold on to things that perhaps we should let go of, or we get pushback for things that we should definitely keep hold of. Um, there's no real way to avoid general critique, but it's a matter of like the posture when we get hit with that critique. Um, I mean, being, I've never been canceled in the way of these actors and prominent people where like, a lot of their past has been dug up um, and used against them. That's never happened to me before. So I can't speak to that experience. But um, usually in my experience, like when critiques brought to my attention, the best thing to do is to accept it and learn from it and then go forward. And especially if someone was hurt by my actions, the proper the response may not the best response may not be to push back and argue that i was right but rather to affirm the feelings of someone else and then try to repair that relationship because ultimately that's more important not the action that i did but make sure that the relationship is good so that way the context 
for my actions in that relationship can continue to happen, I guess. Yeah, I haven't personally been canceled either, but I I have felt myself lumped in with groups that another group is against for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And most of the time I'm just like, well, I don't care. You don't matter to me anymore. I'm just going to ignore you. Um, lately, I've been more like, maybe I should step back and see if I am inadvertently uh, contributing to a really unhealthy and unhelpful system. Oh, yeah, so definitely. that is actually like beneficial, like cancel culture, I believe has been beneficial to directing me to be more introspective um, and even retrospective, like how I've behaved in the past in, in ways that were unintentional, but harmful. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I, I emphasize a lot of that experience as someone like, I mean, being a Christian, I mean, Christians aren't always liked in various circles. And so it's been nice. It's actually going to WashU for four years and kind of meeting people who weren't um, Christian in the way that I practice my faith and learning about their experiences with, with people of faith. They're learning with their experiences with their religious traditions. And instead of feeling threatened, it's important like to, to learn and to understand like why do they feel this way and have I done anything to contribute to this person who may feel like they've been judged unfairly? Do I judge people unfairly? Um, it's a very good practice, I feel, of just reflecting on what I've done because ultimately I can only change myself and I can't like fix the harm that someone else has done on someone else. I can only try to change myself for the future and for other people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Brian Stevenson wrote the book Just Mercy. Mm-hmm which was made into a movie with the same name, uh, which I recently watched for the first time, I think about a month ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and the quote from that book is, each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. Uh, can you talk about the context of the quote really quick? So there is, it's so powerful to have someone like Brian Stevenson saying that because he worked with, uh, clients who are on death row and granted there have been cases that he's tried where people on death row were unfairly put on death row um, and the movie Just Mercy is kind of based on one of the, such cases where someone was wrongfully put on death row and Brian Stevenson had to fight and use every means in his legal toolbox to uh, bring about justice but he does work with people who have done horrible things um and so he says this because he believes that just because someone has done something bad or even heinous or horrible or terrifying that doesn't negate their humanity um and he brian Stevenson does well like he tries to take his time he tries to learn about the people he's representing he tries to learn uh, their mental state, do they, if they have a mental illness, is that contributed? Um, if they came from a certain background, is that contributes to the crime they committed? And trying to get justice put in that way. Maybe, maybe it's not always that the solution to someone on, on death row is for them to be exonerated because they did commit a crime. Maybe the solution is for them to get a lesser sentence to, to pay back their debt to society, but also provide means for them to grow past it. Um, I think Brian 
by being working on death row so intensely, he sees often that when we leave people to kind of wallow in the bad thing they've done and define them as that one thing, it's kind of unfair for us to expect that that will bring about some sort of like transformation results. Um, if we want people, if we want people who've done bad things to, to come out as better people, we need to treat them like they are people who can become better. And I think that's the whole point of Just Mercy, the book, which is a great book, and the movie, which is a great movie, and just Brian Stevenson's entire life's mission with trying to bring about conversations about justice and humanity and equality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of your questions uh, was, what does it look like to treat someone as more than the worst thing that they've done? Um, and I'm going to... It's... It's one thing to think of this all very conceptually, like, yes, there's a very bad person, and yes, deserves forgiveness and mercy and a second chance. Um, When I'm tempted to think of this theoretically and not put names and faces to things, um, I remind myself of the Las Vegas shooting in 2017, Mm. when a man fired more than a thousand rounds of ammunition from his hotel room window um, window, I believe, I'm not sure, um, at a group of people going to a concert, um, and killed 58 of them and wounded 869 other people. Mm. And what I have to remind myself is probably the, like, most appealing and also the most difficult thing to accept about Christianity is that God loves that man as much as he loves you and I and wants forgiveness and mercy for him just as much as he wants it for anyone else. And he's Mm -hmm. also, he also really wants justice for the families and for the people affected by that shooting. And I like, I think this is where cancel culture is like, it's getting at one side of this justice mercy dynamic where we're, we're doing the justice part um, and it, it makes sense that it's kind of one-sided because we're not God. Uh, we, we, we don't have the mental or emotional capacity to, uh, fully love and also fully be just mm. all the time. Exactly. I, I definitely see that. I think you hit it right in the head right there. Love. I think it, it, it's... I mean, the only way for justice and mercy to exist together has to be this over-encompassing amount of love for for everyone involved and mourning like that that this tragedy happened, whether it's the Las Vegas shooting or what I thought of, which is the the uh, shooting at the uh, of a church in, um, in South Carolina, I believe. I think it was South Carolina that killed the nine members who were praying for Dylan Roof, um, and how awful that was that they he came in a total stranger and they invited him in to their group into a small microcosm of community and prayed for him and showed love and then their love to a total stranger was met with with violence and with death um and 
they and people in that church had to wrestle and people in this the church have to wrestle with the fact that God loves those nine people that died so much. And he loves Dylan Ruth so much. And that does not negate the fact that he murdered people. And that but also that does not preclude him from forgiveness as difficult as that is and so how do we wrestle with that and i think that christianity offers a good lens of love and that it's not just that dylan roof is evil it's that it's all i mean that the sin definitely is real and what he did is evil but the whole world is broken and relationships are broken and people are people do horrible things and it's and we need a savior and we need someone to come and restore things to what they should be and redeem humanity to what it should be there's a general brokenness that isn't just isolated to this one instance or there are two instances it's all of us it's you it's me um, and that leads to a different kind of conversation when people do things that are wrong. It's not just about, and it shouldn't be, even though Christians themselves have fallen into the Kansas culture habits of digging up dirt and just outright just attacking people for what they've done in the past. I feel like when we understand the brokenness of the world and how much still God loves it, the conversation becomes so like, what, how can we restore? Um, but also, how can we give voice to the harm that was done? How can we mourn this? How can we grieve? And then once those happen, how can we forgive? How can we grow? How can we continue to live even though we can't take back what happened? Yeah, and we can't we can't do any of that just with the power of social morality behind us. We have to do it with God's love going through us entirely the holy spirit the holy spirit has to be there the holy spirit has to be there. i mean that's that's the only way that a, a murderer like saul can become paul and become an apostle for the church a religion of people that he was actively persecuting that's mm-hmm. the, the holy spirit and the love of the church are the only way that that story makes sense that that's where it can actually happen it wasn't just that people decided to forgive him because they felt like it was time. It was like God said, he needs to, there needs to be justice for what he's done. And also there's so much good that he's been gifted because he's made in my image. Yeah, it, it can't just be just, we can't just appeal to the culture of the day. It has to be something bigger, something more encompassing. Indeed. So I'm, I'm going to hop back to the middle of my notes because I think this is a good way to tie up. The question was, um, what gives us the right to pass judgment on anyone? And I kind of think the answer is we don't have the right <laughs> to pass judgment. Um, I think we have a responsibility to, to strive for good and for people's wrong to be called out but it can't be done in a context where there's no room for forgiveness or redemption. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus does, Jesus talks about judgment in Matthew and with the whole image of um, examine the log in your own eye and then look at the speck in your brother's eye. The point of that isn't ignore the speck in your brother's eye and just focus only on your log. That's not the point. But the point is like, 
at the end of that short like five verses by having the log as your eye by doing that work by doing that communal and personal work of reflection um, and spiritual work of growth you are better you're better able to help other people in their work of taking out the specks in their eyes or logs in their eyes like we have like we are gifted with ways of determining right from wrong i believe as christians that comes from god but what we do with that isn't just to condemn that's not the point the point is to be a part of the general world redemption story arc that began genesis and is going to keep going through and jesus and his spirit help us do that yeah well christian thank you for joining us on the podcast and i'm excited to get this kind of relaunched thank you jenny i it's it i mean moderating was quite the experience but it just kind of um it showed that it re it re emphasize how important it is to be in spaces where I'm uncomfortable, to be in spaces where people disagree and learning how to be in the same space with people that think differently and say differently and act differently. Because we're, we're all, the idea that we're all in this together during the pandemic still applies even outside of the pandemic. We're all kind of in this process of living together. Yep, yep. Um, Theology of the Bottle Works is still happening monthly. It's currently happening on Zoom. There are links put out every month uh, on our social media platforms. So if you are interested in joining us, you can do that from anywhere in the world. Third Wednesday of every month at 6.30 p.m. Central Time.